Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and psychic medium, Stephanie Burke, will be joining us in just a bit. Uh, but uh, we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And I am struggling right now because my headphone jack keeps going into only coming out of one ear. And I can't do the show that way. So I'm just going to keep toggling it around. It's not the no, it's not the tag. It's it's the board. I'm gonna just have to give up and go into the into the headphones themselves. Can't see the hole. There, there we go. I don't really like using that. I like to be pure, pure sound, and it sounds tinny. I don't know why, but we'll we'll struggle our way through. As I continue to cough nonstop. But this is Spooky South Coast, as I mentioned. We talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And tonight, we're going to talk about something that's popped up over the last day or so. And that would be, uh, I don't don't want to say controversy, because it's not really controversial. It's valid questions that have popped up regarding a recent paranormal television show episode. But the questions aren't specifically about the episode or specifically about what went on in the episode. I mean, they kind of are, but they also kind of also play to bigger questions that people have about what it is that we do in paranormal research. So I want to be able to kind of uh, break that all down to unscramble the eggs, as Phil and Howie Carr like to say on, on this station, and to be able to kind of look at it and say, Okay, we're going to understand where the person asking these questions is coming from, and we're going to try and do the best that we can to answer them in a way that makes sense without bringing in all the feelings that we have associated with the fact that somebody would even ask those questions. When somebody questions, Moniz, you deal with this all the time. When somebody questions your pursuit of the paranormal, there's an automatic defense mechanism that kicks in. Because we're so used to people telling us all the time that we're, we're wasting our time looking into things, that we are being irresponsible, especially yourself as a scientist, where, you know, we're, we're doing something that is a, a fruitless pursuit to a lot of people. Why, why is that microphone? Oh, you're on four tonight, today. Uh, That's why. There's that better? Yeah, it's, those are in the wrong spots, but that's okay. Uh, okay. Uh, mainly the reason I, I get a little, um, I'll use the term perturbed when I get that kind of, I'll call it confrontation, is, uh, well, then show me the definitive unquestionable proof and study that there is nothing to it and i've asked that of professors i've had and other people that you know confront me with it. it's like show me your proof absence of proof isn't you know and uh, i just i need you no matter which microphone you're on i need you to project a little bit more because neither one of those are very good all right that so be- that's uh, yes a that's, little better yeah just talk a little bit louder and that'll kind of carry through a little bit better these this is like the only one that's really any good. Yeah. This one here is okay, but we have the best one set aside for 
like the mayor when he comes in. Yeah. The no, rest I of us have you. to struggle. It, it'll all be redone soon, so. Yeah, but basically there is no, um, we'll call it independent, uh, unbiased study of anything in terms of the paranormal or a- anything of that relation. Uh, there's plenty of slanted stuff both one side and the other but there's never really been anything truly objective done on it so like i like to say uh, i'm doing my job as a scientist looking at what we don't know i also don't like the fact though that there's people who will use it to take a shot at me <coughs> excuse me well i don't blame them but yeah like, uh, it came up the other night during the Change My Mind show, and it was just a joke, and it, it, it's nothing against Nick Fryer. He he brought it up solely in jest, like to like it was an intentional like little jab for the sake of the conversation, but it's it's something where people go automatically, where... It's conditioning. It, it, but it's not just that. It's, it's conditioning in a way where they use that as almost like a, a defense mechanism to not have to listen to the things that i have to say or or what have you but it's it goes beyond that it's it's more like um it's cannon fodder for somebody to be able to make fun of me but you don't understand why it is that you're making fun of me you don't understand what it is that i do so you really can't condemn it or poke fun at it well, people do that all the time regardless whether they know anything about the topic or not there's plenty of people like that. It's, a lot of it's human nature. I mean, uh, I famously got into a fight with somebody with a caller on my very last Saturday morning talk show where now I had moved into the newsroom. I was moving into the newsroom then, so I couldn't keep a, a show where I gave my opinions. It's just the way that it goes here. Um, so it was my final Saturday hosting that show before I made the, the full-time move into the newsroom. And, you know, this isn't... The, the months following the 2016 election, there's uh, anybody that listens to WBSM during the week, you know that there's a strong right-wing slant to the shows that are on the air. And I was the opposite of that. But I also tried to like not make it about my personal views. I tried to make it about whatever the callers wanted to talk about. So it just so happened that I, you know, kind of went off a little bit on one of my own opinions because I figure it's my last chance to get them out. And so I start going on a little bit of a a, a tangent. Uh, I won't call it a rant, but I was kind of expressing my own opinion. And one of the – there's a caller, and I'm I'm not going to say his name out loud. Um, Well, you've already eliminated half the audience, then, if it's a male. But it, 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 it rhymes with Larry. No, that's actually the caller's name. It's Larry. I, I got it. So there's this guy, Larry, that calls in, and he doesn't want to hear any op- opposing viewpoints to what he believes on this radio station. When we have liberal guests that come in and sit in with the conservative hosts and they go back and forth, which is a very informative and interesting discussion, in my opinion, he doesn't like that. He thinks that we should not be giving airtime to the other side, even though the station as a whole doesn't have a side. It's just the individual hosts have their own views. So he doesn't like the fact that we let somebody come on that is liberal. He thinks that we are, uh, you know, shortchanging our audience by doing that. He just wants the station to be an echo chamber of everything that he already believes. So he called in because he took... he wants a radio version of CNN. Got it. Or Fox News. Or any of them. Whichever way you want to look at it. He just wants it to be one viewpoint. And 
I mean, even Fox News and CNN, they do try to bring in people from the other side to to be able to right. have those discussions. Yeah. I mean, Tucker Carlson does it all the time. Uh, you know, there's a number of conservatives that go on CNN. Um, I mean, most of them are conservatives that are also anti-Trump conservatives. So they're stacking the deck a little bit, but they do have opposing viewpoints to bring into the discussion. But anyway, that's 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 all political talk. What really drove me crazy about this phone call when he called in was, okay, I understand that he doesn't like my point of view, that he doesn't like my belief system, he doesn't like my ideology. Okay. And we could go back and forth about that all day long. That's what that show is for. Right. But then he decides to bring up, well, you know, you're Mr. Spooky Ghost Man, as if the fact that I'm interested in the paranormal would disqualify me from being able to have an opinion about politics or, by extension, anything else. That for some reason, because I believe that these things that we talk about on this show exist, or at least that there's a they, worthwhile that path. That they happen, at least, yeah. Or at least that it's worth looking into the possibility of do they exist, that all of a sudden I can't have an opinion about other things. And this used to drive me crazy. It drove me crazy when I was a, a breakfast cook, that people would say that somehow my belief in ghosts affected how fast they got their eggs. So I, I, I lost it a little bit on him on the air, and I'm not sorry. And to this day, if I come in and I sit in with one of the hosts and he calls in, we just start in right on it going back and forth again. But that's where I really feel like people look at us from the outside. And I say us, I'm going to include the people in the audience that are listening to the show that are interested in this topic. I think people look at us as saying that because we are interested in this, there's something wrong with us. And part of that is the the world we live in now. I mean, again, not making it political because it's not just politics, but politics is a great example of it. But it happens in everything. Just go on to social media and spend 10 minutes scrolling through social media and seeing how people are going back and forth. And, yes, you will see it happen with politics, but you're also going to see it happen with other topics as well. One of the Sports, a big one. But sports is a little bit different because sports has always been a tribal mentality. Okay. Like by nature with sports, you know, you're pledging allegiance to a shirt, to laundry. You're pledging allegiance to this this color scheme, to this team, right. to this representation. But, and, but the principle is still the same. And, and sports is kind of a, a, a representation to some degree of battle. So you're you're fighting for your flag and defending your flag in that battle. So I kind of understand it with sports. I mean, we still can be a little bit more respectful of each other's viewpoints with it, but the fact that we have drawn a line between what we believe and what people that don't believe the same thing as us believe. And one of the perfect examples is parenting, that it's an either-or situation with parenting now when you see people writing about things that they do as parents on social media. Like, first of all, we don't need to read about what you do as a parent on social media. Anybody that's a parent, they're doing their own thing. Well, parents are just as individuals as kids. I mean, I did. But maybe you don't see it as much because you probably have, you know. My kids are older. And you don't have you don't have a lot of millennial parent friends on your social media. Uh, whereas, you know, I'm pretty inundated with it. And it's it's part of this mindset of, you know, everything that I do is, is unique and different and better. 
So we have to see all this obnoxious parenting stuff from people where it's like, oh, you know, I make sure that every week, uh, you know, I spend an hour with my child where the two of us just sit there and stare in each other's eyes for an hour and uh, and try to get on the same vibration. And it keeps us going all week long as being this inter- you know, Shut up, okay? Because you're not doing anything special or different. You're just making sure that your kid is taken care of. And so is everybody else in their own way. And we're not going to go and pin a badge on you because you came up with some interesting, unique way of doing that. Like, listen, my parents did not sit and stare into my eyes for an hour. And, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not dogging on the person that did that. That works for you and your kid. Yeah. But it doesn't work for everybody. And if my parents wanted to do that, I would resent them for it. I would be like, why are you wasting an hour of my time with this? So everybody kind of has their own different way. I didn't do that with my parents. I still love my parents. I still turned out okay. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off on a, on a tangent here. The bottom line is what we believe in does not define us as people. It does not define us as um, I, I guess if you want to say people prone to if you think that they're fantastical beliefs because we believe in the paranormal it doesn't mean that we also believe in unicorns and dragons and I don't think that I can create a magic potion that's going to make you sick or, or dragons, make you fall in love yes. with me or any of that but I'm just saying like I'm not there. I'm not during Komodo, the islands of Komodo, but yeah, I'm not. I'm saying like we're not. It doesn't define us in all of our beliefs. No. We know when to turn things on and off. We know when to say, "I can go this far, but I can't go this far." And by the way, we don't believe this stuff blindly. We don't believe this stuff because we don't believe this stuff because we walk into it with. This desire. I mean, some people do. Some people walk into it with more of a desire to believe that it exists than anything else. But for most of us, that's not what it's based in. It's not based in blind faith. A lot of us believe in this because we've had an experience or because that we've, we've seen something, heard something, encountered something that we can't deny. And then we have to be willing to say, okay, this has shaken up my worldview. This has changed my perspective on things. This has made me want to go and look in a different direction. Or at least just look. Right. Look. It doesn't mean that we're right. sold. I have had thousands of people over the last, you know, 12 plus years who have told me that they have had encounters with something paranormal, whether it be a ghost, an alien, a cryptid, what have you. They have had some sort of a, an encounter with something paranormal. Out of those thousands of people, how many of them are really telling the truth or really did experiencing something that can't be explained? You know, we don't know. Hmm. But out of those thousands, it only takes one to have it be a legitimate paranormal encounter to make the possibility of all the rest of them to be real. And so, to me, that is overwhelming evidence that there is, or at least overwhelming information, that there is something worth looking into. That if that many people can personally tell me about an experience that they've had that they can't explain, it at least makes me think that it's worth my time 
to consider the possibility that what they're saying is something paranormal. Well, look at the history of it. It's part of our history. I believe ghost stories are our first forms of communication. You know, the, the telling around the campfire, you know, uh, granted a lot of them were moral tales to try and help, you know, guide. But uh, if you go back in history, what what are, what are a lot of our original stories about? You know, they were forms of ghost stories. Well, and, stories and of, you know. we can get into some of the, the reasoning behind that. I mean, part of that is because we don't understand. We didn't understand the concept of death then. We didn't understand we what it don't. meant. We right, but at least we have at least somewhat more of a of a basis of it. But we have a clinical understanding. But yeah, right. But even then, they didn't have that. Yeah. They didn't understand why one minute Grog was up and walking around, the next minute he was not moving. So, you know, some of those are, are no different than the, the the Greek myths or the Roman myths, where the gods, you know, yeah, that's where it's going. Thunder is God bowling, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, there's a reason why some of that came into it. But the more that we've learned over the years, the more that we've learned that there is strange phenomena that takes place that we don't understand. Now, it doesn't mean... <sighs> Here's the thing. Let me let me put this out there, and, and I've said it before, but this is the way that I'll say it. I believe in ghosts. I believe that they exist. I don't necessarily believe that they're dead people. I believe that there's some sort of phenomena that takes place that people are experiencing and reporting, but I don't necessarily believe that it's the souls of people who are no longer with us, or even if it is, it's not that all the time. So if I'm going into that, into this research and into this world with that perspective, how can you discredit Everything that I say, because I'm already looking at this from, I don't want to say a skeptical approach, because we know that skeptical uh, can bring its own connotations with it. But I'm looking at it from an open-minded perspective of saying, I think that these reports and these experiences, which, by the way, I have now had, are legitimate. But I don't think that it's necessarily dead people around us that are causing this. Isn't that kind of the definition of going into something with an open mind? Right. It's called being objective. And that's what I think, first of all, it doesn't help that not everybody enters into it with that mindset. And I don't really want to have everyone who believes in this to be pigeonholed into being the stereotypical person that believes in this. And I'm trying to put this in a way where... Well, the stereotype, <clears throat> as you're trying to uh, put it, actually has to do with the way society paints the the people that look into this. And I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Uh, well, if you're looking it's, at it from a from, from some in some cases, yes, but in some cases, and I'm, there I'm are, referring to media and 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 the way that uh, culture or society labels. Then this is your whole point of what you're getting to. But in some cases, there is a a, a percentage, and that percentage may actually be growing, of people who just believe it. People who just, you know, they see it on television, they think that it's real because they see it on television. They don't even have to have their own experiences. You know, they're just, or the they're sold. Right. So I think that there is there is that element. And I'm not knocking anybody if that's how you entered into this. If you entered into this because you are 
Um, you just have blind faith that it's real and that it's every ghost is a dead person and every ghost story. It wasn't like this. You know this, Moniz. You've been in this longer than we have, but <laughs> at least in long, as long as we've been doing this show in the early days of it, it wasn't like this. You would put something out there and welcome the scrutiny. You would put something out there and welcome people to give feedback and tell you. You expected the scrutiny. That's what yeah. you went out and gathered all of this data and evidence for, was to bring it back to the community and to put it out there and say, hey, guys, what's what, explain to me what, what went on see? here. Yeah. Right. What do you see versus what I see? Tell me what I could be getting wrong here. Tell me what I could be misconstruing here. Let me know what pitfalls I'm falling into that I can learn to avoid to fall into in the future so that when I have something like this, I know I shouldn't get all worked up about it. First, first, I, I don't want to call it an investigation, but I'll say the first time I ever tried to investigate, Matt Cost and I, at the Millicent Library in Fairhaven for a newspaper article, caught a photo with a bunch of orbs in it. Didn't know all of the <laughs> ins and outs of what could happen with photography and what those orbs could mean. You know, I kind of did, but didn't really understand it to the point that I do now. So, yeah, we blew up that photo, and we looked at those orbs in depth, and we saw an old woman in one of the orbs, and we put it out there, and, and people said, you know, it's, it's dust. It's a, you know, you're just looking at it and thinking that you see an old woman. And it wasn't hard to hear. I didn't fight it. I didn't write back to people and say, well, you weren't there, so you don't know. Uh, and I've caught in tons of orbs and other photos, so they have to be real. You know, I didn't fight it. I welcomed the feedback, and I said, okay, lesson learned. I've learned that that's not what I think that I'm seeing. So now I know going forward not to get so excited about something like that. But it's not like that anymore. You can't scrutinize somebody's photo that they put up. I mean, you could show me a photo that is very clearly a camera strap, and we all know that it shows up oh, in, yeah. as that little... You know, kind of. Uh, well, depending upon the strap. Depending yeah. upon the strap. Yeah. In the early yeah. days of <coughs> digital photography, the ubiquitous gray camera strap. Yep. Because all those Kodak cameras that everybody was going out and buying, they were all gray and silver, and they had those grayish, silverish camera straps that would show up in a photo. But even if it's not gray or white, the fact that the flash is, you know, going off so close to it, you get this like light rod effect in the photo. And you can kind of tell when you look at them enough that if it looks kind of has that braided look to it, it's probably the camera strap. And you used to be able to say to somebody, uh, I, I think maybe that was the camera strap getting in the photo, and like, oh, you're right, I should take the strap off that camera. You're right. Now you tell somebody, I think that's the camera strap. No, no, it's not. Okay, can you give me a little bit more information? Can you tell me? I know that it's not because there's no strap on the camera. Can you tell me I know that it's not because um, I had the strap tucked back behind it or around my wrist or anything like that? No, it's just, no, no, it's not. It's because I challenged the fact that it was something paranormal that the only answer that you're going to give me is, no, I'm wrong. And listen, I didn't acquire this knowledge by being smarter than you. I didn't acquire this knowledge by being a better investigator than you. I didn't acquire this knowledge by being... Anything different than what you are. You know how I acquired this knowledge? Because like I already made it. those same mistakes. Yep, already did. And I'm just trying to help you with the same thing. But nobody nobody wants to listen to that. So that's kind of a little bit of a, a, 
a rant there about some of the perspective that people have about what it is that we do. I don't think that that is where the the, the, the controversy, and I don't feel comfortable using that word, but the the um, we'll call it the disconnect, dis- the discourse yeah. over what we're talking about tonight. I don't think that it comes from that kind of a place. But I just want to say that that does exist. That is still out there. Uh, for all of us who like to say, well, look at all of these paranormal television shows that are coming out. By the way, there's roughly 7,842 new paranormal television shows coming to Travel Channel in the next couple of months. That might be an exaggeration by a little, mm. but not by much. So there's all these paranormal TV shows that are coming out there. It's becoming, you know, hot again in the mainstream uh, to some degree. And so we're going to have a lot of these. And it does, we talked before, it ebbs and flows. And we expected there to be a, a paranormal crash, a paranormal downturn at some point, because there always has been one. No, I don't but think it didn't, so, no. But it didn't really do it. It it kind of it dipped. It dipped a little bit, but now it's back on an upswing. Uh, I definitely think it has now become its own genre. I think it will be a topic that is... You know, adopted by, you know, the media now because it sells, and you know, it, it's a niche market. I mm-hmm. agree, but but that market is there. So if the market is there, and there are people willing to watch it, production companies will produce content, and you know, networks will buy it, and advertisers will buy time on it, and you know, life goes on. I, I know this because I've got a couple of you know. Shows talking to me right now for doing stuff in the upcoming summer. So it, it's it's there. The market's there. It didn't really. It didn't when it ebbed. It didn't really bottom out like no. it has in the past because there is yeah. enough interest and because there is enough people that are doing it. You know, I think the reason why it when it ebbed before it would hit hit a bottom was because there just wasn't that many people involved in it and interested in it. <clears throat> so as those numbers have grown. It's it's much harder for it to hit hit a bottom. Like, I always allude the paranormal to pro wrestling. I know that it, it pisses some people off when I do that, but look at that. You know, wrestling goes through its yeah. booms and its busts, and even when it's at its lowest points in terms of popularity, it still has a really good audience. And the same can be said for the paranormal. It's always going to have some degree of an audience. So, but um, we're going to see a lot more of these kind of almost ad hominem attacks, we can call them, but at least where people are going to kind of discredit what it is that we do. So the question that came up is related to one of the more popular paranormal TV shows and one of the best produced ones, in in my opinion, uh, Kindred Spirits, which they've done a great job with that of presenting the show in a way where... Even open-minded people, as long as you're open-minded, you don't have to be a believer. Uh, you don't have to be a true believer going into it. But as long as you go into it with an open mind, you're going to watch the show and you're going to come away with the perspective of, hey, you know, I got to I gotta kind of think a little bit more on this. Because, first of all, the easiest way to put it is it comes from a very human place. Which I know sounds really weird when we're talking about paranormal experiences, but that's what I think this is all about. There's so many people running around trying to prove this with physics. And we can prove some things about it with physics. We can prove environmental changes with physics. 
But I don't think that that's a physical thing that's necessarily happening. But I do feel it's definitely a human thing and definitely an emotional thing. And I think a show like Kindred Spirits is doing a good job of showing that effect and that connection. So we're going to get into that coming up in just a few moments. We're going to take a, a, a short break for the week in Weird. Uh, Matt Blystein has another great episode of the week in Weird. Uh, Stephanie has arrived, so we'll let her come in and, and get settled. And then we'll really get into the meat of this. We may even have a special guest joining us on the phone coming up. I'm going to uh, reach out during the week in Weird and see if we can set that up. And we can really do a deep dive into this. And we'll welcome your calls, too, as well. 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. And uh, we'll, we'll run the week in Weird, and then we'll come back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Spanning the globe to bring you the best in paranormal news. This is the Week in Weird. Hello, and welcome back to the Week in Weird. Our first story can be summed up by saying, He shoots, he scores, you die. Aside from a few possible boredom-related soccer deaths, the sport isn't normally associated with the paranormal. But that's not the case with the seemingly cursed footballer, Aaron James Ramsey. Because when Aaron James Ramsey scores a goal, someone dies. The carnage began during the 2011-2012 season when the Arsenal midfielder scored four goals. And for every one of his four goals scored, someone famous or infamous met their doom. On May 1st, 2011, he scored a goal, and the next day, U.S. Special Forces killed Osama bin Laden. On October 2nd, he scored a goal, and three days later, Steve Jobs passed away. On October 19th, he scored a goal, and Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi was captured and killed. On February 11th of 2012, he scored his fourth goal of the season, and Whitney Houston was found dead. On November 30th of 2013, he scored two goals, and Fast and Furious actor Paul Walker died in a car accident. Then, on August 10th of the same year, he scored again, and the following day, Robin Williams was found dead in his home. The curse then seemed to let up for a while, but it soon reappeared. From 2016 to 2018, we lost David Bowie, Alan Rickman, Nancy Reagan, and Stephen Hawking, all following games in which the Grim Reaper of soccer scored a goal. All told, at least 16 well-known people have died either on the same day or within a few days of one of Ramsey's goals, including his most recent victim, Luke Perry, who died five days after a goal. For his part, Ramsey says the curse is absurd, and that there have been loads of occasions where he scored a goal and nobody's died. 
But is that really true? Our research team here at The Week in Weird found that indeed after every single goal that Aaron Ramsey scored in his career, someone, somewhere, has died. They may not be famous, but they're just as dead. And a quick heads up, Ramsey's next game is this Monday, April 1st. So now might be a good time to make sure your will and life insurance are in order. The last story may leave an odd taste in your mouth. Most everyone knows that the building blocks of a healthy lifestyle are a balanced diet, eight hours of sleep, and at least 20 minutes of exercise every day. But for one man in Sheffield, England, an additional liquid supplement has been the key to his optimal health. For years, Fabian Fakwarison suffered from stomach pains that doctors hadn't been able to diagnose nor treat successfully. He began researching alternative therapies and eventually adopted a more holistic fruitarian diet, consisting only of raw fruit, and he began to notice a difference immediately. Looking to feel even better, he continued his research and stumbled upon the health benefits of drinking one's own urine. He said that he'd always been open-minded, so he decided to give it a try. The taste, he said, was like a bitter ale, strong, but not terrible and he had no problem finishing a glass. Initially, he drank it straight from the faucet, so to speak, but then he began to age the urine for 30 days before drinking it. He said that by aging the urine, it goes through what he describes as a magnification process that makes it more potent. He says that since he began drinking a pint of his own urine every day, he feels amazing. He's bursting with energy, and he would never go a day without it. Further, he says he'd recommend it to anyone. All right, Fabian, I'll give it a try. Not bad. And that brings this episode of The Week in Weird to a close. I'm your host, Matt Bleistein, and I'll see you next week. Emails and messages and all that. Go under the videos on YouTube. Comment there. Let them know. And also, um, you know, share them, spread them around, put them on your social media. Let everybody know that you get weird with us each and every week. And so now Stephanie is here with us, and we're going to be kind of directly talking about some of the information that was put out there. Now, let me just set the table a little bit here. Uh, and we will have a special guest in a few minutes to, to talk about this a little bit more in depth. <clears throat> let me start off by saying that... Many years ago, when we first started doing this show and we first started talking about Lizzie Borden, I reached out and spoke with Dr. Stephanie Corey, who was a professor at a university in Florida, who had been spending uh, many years of her life researching Lizzie Borden and going deeper into the story than what we've been told. And she put out a, a quarterly newsletter called The Hatchet that was uh, wildly popular amongst all of the people who were Borden scholars and, and people that were interested in the case. And she has been doing research on this for a very long time. So when I reached out to her uh, back in those early days, you know, I would get some information from her. And uh, she made it clear that she was not a believer in ghosts. But she liked the history and she liked the fact that we were kind of sharing the history of what was going on. So her and I have been you know, acquainted, friendly for a long time. Uh, I've, I've gone and seen her talk in some of her discussions and she's been to some of mine and, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's always been a very pleasant experience, you know, going back and forth with her. So I, I don't want anybody to think that in any way 
um, I'm attacking Dr. Corey or her Mondo Lizzie Borden uh, page and and uh, website. This this has nothing to do with anything personal at all. I have nothing but great respect for her. Uh, but I do take issue with some of the, the questions that she was asking with her recent posts on Facebook. Now, I say that, but I also want to put in the caveat that they're perfectly fine questions to ask. They're questions that I think anybody who spent most of their life looking into Lizzie Borden would ask after there was a Lizzie Borden episode of a paranormal television show. And I did invite Dr. Corey to come on the show and to share her perspectives and her questions and her concerns so we could have a back and forth discourse on it. Um, she declined. She said that she does not feel like she's ready to jump into that conversation. And, and I respect that. And I think that at some point down the line, we could have her on and say, there's, see, that's the thing about this show is we've always looked at all viewpoints. And I would have no problem at all with somebody who is a, a non-believer in ghosts wanting to come on and talk about some of these ghostly experiences that we've had with Lizzie Borden. As long as you can keep an open mind and, and, and say, I believe that you, I believe that you believe at least that these experiences happen to you. At least start off with that. And then we can have a conversation. So, and I'm not saying that she's not willing to believe that, but based on some of my, some of the comments that she's had in relation to this, I think she's just shut down to the idea of ghosts. Fine. So the question comes about because the season finale of Kindred Spirits aired on Thursday night and it took place at Maplecroft. Now, full disclosure, I have not seen the episode. I did Midnight in the Desert Thursday night. I came right home from work. Um, Got home from work about 9.30 at night, had about an hour and a half to prep for Midnight in the Desert, then just jumped right into doing that show, crashed, woke up the next morning, went back to work. So I've been going nonstop. So I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. I've heard very good things. Uh, did you get a chance to see it? No, Stephanie? I did not. So I've heard very good things, and I plan on watching it, but I just want to put it out there that I haven't seen it. But the questions that are asked, uh, so yesterday morning, the Mondo Lizzie Borden page writes, the Kindred Spirits show on last night went, on, went to Maplecroft. Of course, they spoke to Elizabeth Borden herself, a long conversation. Wow. So that means all those paranormal shows that talked to Lizzie at Second Street were frauds. That's something that we're going to get into. And why would Lizzie want to stay here? By all accounts, when she died, she went peacefully. No reason to haunt. And no other family that lived there before the current owners who own the haunted 92 Second Street where the murders occurred heard or saw a thing. People are haunted, not houses. And of course, they would find ghosts. If they didn't, the business model would be wrecked. Sad. So, um, and we'll, we'll maybe be able to get into some of the comments about that a little bit later on. And then the second post came today. Uh, the question, so why would Lizzie Borden talk to TV show psychics when she refused to talk to journalists? And that's also something that I think we're going to get into in the course of this discussion as well. See, the thing is, is if they're coming in a non-accusatory tone, then both are very valid questions to ask. And we certainly can get into the question as to why some TV shows are encountering Lizzie Borden at 92 Second Street and some at Maplecroft or Kindred Spirits at Maplecroft and why some of the people who work in both buildings are feeling her presence in both buildings and why that can happen. Because we seem to have this mindset of of a haunting can only happen in one particular place. Which is ridiculous. And so that's something that we're going to really kind of peel back the layers on, too. 
But I just want to start out by saying, again, my own personal belief, but my personal belief built upon my own personal experience that one doesn't end the possibility of the other, but also not everybody who says that they've talked to Lizzie Borden has talked to Lizzie Borden, too. Oh, absolutely. So that's something else that we're going to get into as well in the how, course of the discussion. How deep are we going with that? Super deep. Okay, because that could go to the deepest level of deep, and do we have enough time for that? Uh, we'll we'll see what we get in uh, in the course of, of this discussion tonight, but that's where I think we need to set the table with that. With These are the questions that came up. They came up from a person who, as I said, I have a great deal of respect for, is uh, is a, is an is an academic, not an investigator, <clears throat> is somebody who has spent her life researching the history and the facts of the case, not the paranormal aspects. And there's going to be some some people who research these cases from a non-paranormal perspective invite the paranormal folks that come in and bring a new perspective. Other people look at it as kind of a slap in the face of the research that they have done over the years. And I will say this right from the outset. When it comes to the Lizzie Borden case, I think there's an argument to be made for that. I think there's an argument to say, listen, a lot of you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to this. Because so many people have based their Lizzie Borden theories and ideas and thoughts and, and, and all of that on what they've seen on television specials, you know, what they've seen on uh, murder specials on Discovery ID or what they've seen on paranormal shows or what they've read about, and they don't really know the whole story about what went on. So it is, I can see how somebody who is a, a Borden researcher would consider it a slap in the face when paranormal people get involved in this topic but don't have the research behind them. Now but that the ones that do the research or people that actually do have abilities shouldn't be shot down. You should have an open mind to that. And that being said, if you're going to go and attack a show for not doing the research or paranormal investigators for not doing the research, I don't think Kindred Spirits is the one to go after. No. And you know, I've I've said this for years now that you know, the reason why I personally chose to work with Amy and Adam and why I finally said yes to TV was because I enjoy the way that they do their research. Many shows out there, and this isn't a secret, have researchers that work for their shows. <coughs> Amy actually goes to all these different places and does the research herself. She teaches classes on how to properly research. She does her research. She digs deeper than most people do. So, And filming Kindred Spirits in Fall River is not the first time that she has reached into this case either so no, it's, it's, it's not. not like she's new to this but you know rather than talk about amy bruni let's just bring her on and have her kind of uh give her her own perspective uh good evening amy how are you i'm good how are you guys great it's great to talk to you thanks for joining us of course i had to well and and that's the thing you've you've built up a tolerance over the years uh to people who kind of try to discredit what we do like to people anybody who tries to discredit um paranormal research as a whole, you know, you've kind of been able to, to, to turn that off and, and kind of let it wash over you. Uh, but how does it feel to you, first of all, with the 
the personal time that you invest in putting together each episode of Kindred Spirits, but also to have this come from somebody from, from academia and somebody who is a board and scholar to come out and, and kind of challenge uh, what it is that you were able to present in that episode. I mean, honestly, I'm completely used to it at this point. <laughs> um, you know, I've just found over the years that um, sometimes we are kind of blocked by, like, historians or historical societies or, you know, we're just kind of instantly shot down because of our belief system. Um, and that's fine. And I think we all kind of get to a point as investigators where, you know, you know what you believe and you know what you've experienced, and it becomes not as important to try to have to convince other people. Uh, and so that's kind of where I, I just happened to see that woman's comment, and I, I just remembered her because when we were filming, she lived next door, and she was taking photos of us the whole time. Well, that's not <laughs> so, creepy. Um, and so that's why I even uh, remembered to go back and check and see what she said about the episode. I was very curious to know what she thought of it because we tried to stay so true to the history and everything. But Well, as I said, though, from a fundamental perspective, I don't have a problem with people – asking the questions that she asked. I mean, I think to somebody who's on the outside, some of these can be uh, valid questions. And, and I think the most valid question that somebody would ask, not understanding how the world of, of ghosts works, is the question that she asked uh, first in, in her post, uh, the post that went up yesterday, and that being, how can Lizzie Borden be in Maplecroft, and also be at 92 Second Street. And I ask you this, Amy, because I know that you're somebody that has investigated both locations multiple times. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that something people have this uh, idea that ghosts could be tied to one location, but we found that they move around. Uh, you know, they're like, I mean, and this is, again, all theory. I will never speak in absolutes. But just what I've encountered and what I've seen uh, as I've investigated has indicated that they go from place to place. Uh, I personally have not had any very strong interactions with any entity at the Second Street house that I would think would be Lizzie Borden, but I know other people have. Um, but what I encountered at Maplecroft was very strong was a very strong indicator that Lizzie or Lisbeth she was very clear that she liked to be called Lisbeth was at Maplecroft but it doesn't mean that she doesn't go from place to place at all right and and certainly it goes without saying that if you if somebody is reaching out to if, okay for example tonight we're talking about kindred spirits and so you're able to call in and, and talk with us and speak with us about what's going on on Kindred Spirits. And if another show starts when ours is over and talks about Kindred Spirits, you can also call in and discuss with them. And so yeah. there's, there's no reason why a spirit can't do the same thing. That if you're at right. 92 Second Street wanting to talk to her, she comes and visits. And if you're at Maplecroft, she comes and visits. Yeah, I will say, so we did a lot of experiments uh, while we were there. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into it because I know we're kind of, but like we did investigate both locations at once at one point because we had a lot of success with that when we investigated in Barnstable where we kind of tried to see if two locations were tied together. And so we did do an experiment where Adam investigated at Maplecroft and I investigated at Second Street and we kind of um, tried to tie our investigations together and we did get activity that indicated things were going back and forth between those two places. 
and you know we've we've done that with other investigations. Not you know it doesn't have to be a widespread place, but it could be two different rooms of the same building. It could be two different buildings of the same property. But we've seen that happen before, where something yeah. can kind of go back and forth. It's it's one of the reasons why we seem to think that, like you said, spirits aren't necessarily tied down to one particular place. So it's not, it's not something that's uncommon. And it's almost maybe it's something that we take for granted that somebody who's coming into this watching it from a skeptical point of view doesn't understand. Right. But I think that's, I mean, people who don't, it's like, it's like you, you know, commenting on someone else's job and you have no idea what they do. You just have like kind of a high level idea of what they do, but there's a lot more to it. And so we get that all the time. And I think that's just people have this idea that as being paranormal investigators, you know, we're just chasing orbs all day. And, you know, I and so I think that uh, they, I don't know that people realize how in-depth we get and, and the experiments we do, the research we do. And that's fine. I'll talk about it all day. Um, but it, it is those kind of high-level assumptions where people kind of look down on us as opposed to just asking real questions that can kind of hinder that a little bit. And I, I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, I have a, a great amount of respect for Dr. Corey. She's been researching Lizzie Borden for a long, long time. And I, I do take a little bit of offense with the tone of the questioning because it, it's almost like it's like we're slapping in the face anybody that has taken Borden research seriously by bringing up the idea of the ghost. And that's not certainly not what you would be doing in any of the cases, not only that you investigate for kindred spirits, but just in general and anything that you've done in your your paranormal career, you have never approached anything from anything less than 100% wanting to do the best job that you can in serving both the living and the dead involved. Well, exactly. And and I think I did see just a few comments, like the tone was people were, were kind of like, well, what if you looked at it from this perspective? Uh, and she her responses were what a lot of people are what a lot of responses are is just well ghosts don't exist so why would i even look at it from that perspective it was very much just like i'm going to shoot you down because i don't believe ghosts exist at all um and i think that the healthy ways to look at it for from a lot of people who are scholarly or may not believe is the fact that whether or not you believe in ghosts here's a whole group of people that are suddenly very fascinated with your history and your subject and you know, especially, you know, some of these historical locations and stuff, it's this really amazing byproduct of paranormal investigation. Like, whether you believe or not, right. these people have a deep interest and they care about your your cause or your subject, and you should take advantage of that. I mean, if we really wanted to to kind of defend what it is that we do, and we don't feel that we need to, but all we would have to do is point out to some of the very large checks that we've been able to write to historic places that help keep them going. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and actually she brought up one of the biggest ones, Mark, the Mark Twain house, which we worked with Mm -hmm. because, you know, they don't have some really crazy haunt there, but they do have a, a ghost there and they have activity there and they've been able to turn that into like nightly ghost tours and things, which, you know, has brought families in, people who probably would never have set foot in that place. And they told us one year it brought in an extra $60,000 for them. Uh, and I saw a comment like that was a bad thing. And I thought, no, if this place is in Hartford, Connecticut. Like, you know, not a lot of people are going there. And yeah, suddenly it's, they it's, have, to have this interest in Mark Twain and his house. I mean, it's that's kind of in, it's in the ghetto. I mean. It is a little bit. I didn't want to say it. Right. But. I always, I make the joke all the time. I have no idea why Mark Twain chose to build his house in the middle of the ghetto. 
<laughs> but the but that's the thing that in the Mark Twain house is and is, is a perfect example of this where you know and it was actually a legend trips event that they let come in Jeff and I put on this event at the Mark Twain house they let us come in we had 60 70 people in there they had never allowed anybody to take flash photography in in the actual house before this they made this one time exception for us they saw how it went without a hitch we called them back after it was so successful and said, would you like to do another event? And they said, eh, we think we might be going in a different direction. And the next thing you know, they're announcing their own paranormal nights yeah. because they realized that if it's done and it's done right, it's people that are coming in with a healthy amount of respect and interest in the actual history. And the ghosts are kind of just the, the attraction that get them to come in and learn that. Right. I say that to people all the time. Like, where else are you going to get a group of people that, like, their want is to come into your location and be as still and quiet as possible in the dark, not touch a thing, and then leave <laughs> and give you money. They gave you money for it, too, yes. <laughs> like, the worst thing that we ask for is that, uh, you know, we, we, we might ask to be allowed to, like, serve some pizza in your place. Like, that's, right, exactly. that's the most we'll put you out, is uh, we're actually looking to actually eat food. <laughs> and if food. you don't want that, we'll serve it out of the back of one of our cars. We will make it happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, before we, let, before we let you go, I will ask you this second question that was posed uh, on the Mondo Lizzie Borden page, just because I'd like to just get your perspective on it. And she asked, why would Lizzie Borden talk to a TV show psychic when she refused to talk to journalists? And uh, I'd just like your perspective on why paranormal researchers can get answers where other people might not have been able to. Uh, well, I mean, for, for Chip, and Steph probably realizes this too, like Chip walked in and he did not um, talk to her. He felt her. Like he walked in, I know you guys haven't seen the episode yet, but like he walked in and he wasn't like channeling Lizzie. He was just feeling her and giving us his impressions. And he honestly didn't even know where he was. So this is what we did because you didn't see. We we knew that Chip would know Maplecroft as soon as he pulled up. And we knew that, like, bringing him to Fall River, we he, we figured he'd think he was at, like, the Lizzie Borden house or whatever. And so I kept building up. I'm like, listen, I know you think you know where you're going, but you're not going where you think you're going. <laughs> I was, like, trying so hard. So we blindfolded poor Chip and brought him into the Lizzie or to the Maplecroft. Into Maplecroft. Uh, he had no idea where he was. And he instantly just started kind of, I've never seen him do this before, to be honest, just kind of have, having this, like, stream of consciousness. And so I don't think Lizbeth or Lizzie was talking to him. I think he was picking up on her. Um, but even for us, we spent days uh, in there. In the first day or two, she didn't do anything for us because we kept talking about the murders. Uh, and then finally, the way we got her to interact with us is we one did not bring up the murders but we also removed everything from the house that had anything to do with the murders and we made a big scene of it we were like lisbeth we're removing all this we know this is offensive like you don't want to see this because mabel croft really was kind of her sanctuary that's where she hid for 34 years and um we got everything out of the house uh and then we just started talking to her about her life after the acquittal, like talking about her, her charitable causes and, and art and theater. And that's when she started talking to us. So I think with Chip, it was a, a stream of consciousness thing. And I think with us, it was just a respect thing. We kind of came at her from a different angle. Uh, and I will say people kept asking us on, on the set to ask her if she committed the murders. And we were like, we're not going to ask that question because we worked days right. to get her to this point. And that's not going to get us anywhere. So I think that's probably why. 
And if anybody's wondering why I cracked a, a big smile while Amy was talking, it's because I just noticed Tenny's in the chat room. Oh, yeah, so. he's been there. <laughs> I know. He told me he was. He was jealous. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I think I crashed your website, and I apologize for that. <laughs> well, no, we, we appreciate it. We appreciate your, your time for calling in. And, uh, and, and I also, I just love that perspective, too, of, you know, you weren't going to ask her that because, first of all, that's the worst possible question that anybody could ever come back with a paranormal answer to. You know, nobody should ever say... I definitively, definitively can say Lizzie Borden did or didn't do it based on something that happened during a paranormal investigation. Because exactly, it, it's going to drive you crazy to think that you have the answer and know that nobody's going to accept it because of the way that you got it. Exactly. And that was just it. Like, I knew it wasn't going to further anything we did. And we had such an... I, I really can't wait for you guys to see the episode because we had such an amazing interaction. Like, it was unlike anything we've experienced. And... um and so it just, I don't know. And, and, and now I kind of worry. I, I honestly have a very healthy respect for, for Lizzie Borden or Lisbeth uh, Borden. Like, I, I worry about people going in there now. So, But she, it, it was really great. Well, again, thank you for, for taking the time tonight to join us. And congratulations on another successful season. And, and folks can see you. You've got a, a whole bunch of Strange Escapes events coming up too, right? I do. And, um, yeah. So I, I have I I won't go into total details. But if they go to strange-escapes.com, they can check them out. And we always have something fun happening. So. And it, really, if you've never been on one of her events, you definitely want to go. It's it's a, it's a paranormal experience, but it's also a nice vacation too. At the it same really time, is. it really is. <laughs> well, uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you some more, especially uh, after we get the chance to watch the episode. Thank you for calling in and for sharing with us, and, and hopefully we can get you back in the studio sometime. I would love that. Thank uh, you so much, you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye. And uh, that is uh, Amy Bruni. Again, uh, Kindred Spirits, if you have not caught it, it is on the Travel Channel. You can watch it for yourself. And um, we will. We just haven't had the chance yet. Uh, Stephanie, I do want to really get into some of a little bit of what we talked about um, with Amy. But before we really go into it, just kind of tell us your own thoughts about what I was going back and forth with her about spirits being able to to visit in multiple locations. We're not talking about somebody being locked into a property. No, I mean, that's that's not a thing. I mean, there are spirits. I can't tell you it's not totally true. There are spirits that just stay in one location right. and that's it. But think about you as a human. You have people that stay at home all the time. They never leave the house unless they feel like it. You know, I'm, it's just... I'm sorry. I'm not smiling at you. Okay, great. Ghost Adventures is on behind us and Scott Grunewald's on and I'm just picturing my oh. tutu. Okay, sorry. Cool. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to, to cut you off. No, I just didn't want you to think I was fine. laughing at what you were saying. Um, I wasn't even paying attention but okay so you have a, a hermit like person that will stay at home and not move and you know just stay confined to the four walls of their house and they're okay with that that's completely fine but then you have you know humans that like to go out and socialize and and we all have different personalities ghosts can do the exact same thing you have some ghosts that move around from building to building because they're familiar with those properties and they were when they were alive you have a situation like you knock down a building and now ghosts need a new home. So they find somewhere new to go. They like the energy there. They like to travel. They like to move around. They're not locked to one location. Um, some choose to be, but it's their choice. They can do whatever they want to. There are no rules. How many times have you heard of a person having the spirit follow them home? I mean, it does happen. 
it's not as often as you would think. But still, no, the but that the point happens being yeah. proves that they're yeah. they're not stuck. And I think that um, yeah, I don't know why that happened. I think that? it did. That hurt a lot. Oh, it says you had your microphone way too close. You had your headphones too close to the microphone as you went to to adjust it. Yeah, you don't you want to push that away before you How do anything. Is that? Never mind. Because it's picking up the sound coming out of the headphone okay. and going into the microphone causes feedback. Never mind. Anyways. It's like holding a microphone too close to a speaker. Hmm. You, you know that because I make you use a microphone whenever we do any lectures. It's horrible. But uh, the the idea of, for, as I mentioned before, not everybody who says that they've talked to Lizzie Borden at 92 Second Street right. is actually talking to Lizzie Borden. Very correct. We can go into a variety of reasons why yes but can. i will say that probably let me give you the the least paranormal reason why okay in my opinion the least of the least paranormal reason being because you're going into that house expecting to talk to lizzie borden correct that you're going to make the assumption that whatever is interacting with you or what you're perceiving is interacting with you that maybe it's not something paranormal and you're misidentifying it as such you're going to automatically make the conclusion that it's Lizzie Borden because you're going to the Lizzie Borden house and that's who you're expecting to encounter. Very true. So also, this, this using l- equipment that just has beeping meters and flashing lights and broken radios doesn't mean that you're communicating with Lizzie Borden either. Well, but that's what I mean. Just anything that you are experiencing, whether it is legitimate paranormal phenomena or something that you're just um, creating a false positive for yourself with, mm-hmm. the natural leap in logic is that it's Lizzie Borden because you're at the Lizzie Borden house. Mm-hmm. The Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast, I should be specific, so that we don't confuse people. And let me take a step back, because there's probably some people that are listening right now that have no idea what we're talking about when we're saying that she can be in two different places. The house that is known as the Lizzie Borden house is actually the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast, is its official name. It's located at 92 Second Street in Fall River, Massachusetts, which is the house where the Borden murders took place on August 4th, 1892. Mm-hmm. That's where the murders happened. That's where Lizzie lived with her family when the murders happened. After the trial was over and Lizzie was acquitted, her and her sister Emma, they inherited all of her father's wealth and they used that money. Lizzie took a portion of that money and bought the house that was in the neighborhood where she wanted to live which was the highlands of Fall River, mm-hmm. and that house is called Maplecroft. That's what she named the house. When you go to that house, it's it's etched into the stairs. She had to etch into the stairway. And so that is the house where she lived with Emma, and then there was other stuff that happened, but after the murders, after the trial. so And we're talking about a distance of a couple of miles between the two. Yeah, it's not far. And fun <coughs> fact, um, it was not normal for people to name their houses. It was actually something very common for the rich of Newport, Rhode Island to do, and she decided to do it. It was it, it was definitely Fall River rich. It, that's what I'm saying. You're, like not, she, as, you're not as well off as you yeah, think that you are. She Fall River rich. Yes, you're not as well off as you think that you are, no. but you're still doing better than everybody. Right. 92 Second Street, for those of you who don't know, was not really where the elite of Fall River would have lived. No. And Lizzie actually resented the fact that that's where her father bought the house because they were living amongst the you know the regular folk of Fall River, but that's where Andrew lived because all of his business interests were nearby and he would walk every day to the bank and to his, you know, to right. his other businesses. But he also would not update that house either, even when the technology well, was, became available to do so. He was very cheap. So she had always pined to live amongst the other Bordens 
in the Highlands, which is why she bought Maplecroft. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't matter, though, that she ended up becoming shunned by Fall River Society because of the accusations of the murder. Um, but anyway, she lived she lived there afterwards. So when we're talking about Maplecroft, that's where she lived after. And if we say the Lizzie Borden house, we're talking about Second Street, which is the house where the murders actually took place. So just mm-hmm. so you understand, they are two different and distinct locations. For a number of years, at least for as long as I've been involved in paranormal stuff, there was a, a, a single man who owned, you know, one person, a man who owned Maplecroft. Uh, he repeatedly put it up on the market and had fallen mm-hmm. in a great amount of disrepair and he wanted an exorbitant amount of money for it, which the neighborhood is not, it wasn't what it was in Lizzie Borden's day. Let's just put it that way. Right. When we were filming uh, Haunted Towns outside of the house, uh, the the crew the, was kind of a little bit nervous about the neighborhood that they were in. You know, that's that's not necessarily a bad place. It's not as nice as it was. The Highlands right. are still the Highlands, but um, Charlton Memorial Hospital is literally at the top of the street now. So, like in like their their <coughs> ambulance bay is right there. So it's just loud nonstop. And they're not they're not single family wealthy families like they used to be. Right. These are all like now made into yeah they like make apartments. them into apartments. Yep. So. Um, but anyway, so the, uh, so that property was for sale for a long time. Finally, it was bought by a woman named Christy Bates from Texas who bought it and wanted to restore it and wanted to open it as a bed and breakfast. Christy, I don't think I'm talking out of school here. At every turn, you know, again, you kind of got to explain Fall River Hmm, to people outside of... I mean, I guess maybe people know about Fall River lately because their 27-year-old mayor is under federal indictment yeah, and was just like, recalled and reelected on the same ballot. Yep. You, you know those memes where, like, um, Simba, Simba and, and his <laughs> and Mufasa um, talk about the yes the, the land that you don't go to? That dark spot over there? That dark spot over there? That's Fall River. That's Fall River. But uh, we can say that because we're not on the radio, so Fall <laughs> oh, River good. can hear us. But, Sorry, uh, Fall River. But, I enjoy, their cops are great, but Fall River has a lot of um, political machinations going on. They have a lot of issues and corruption. So what they have forever. It wasn't easy for her to come in as an outsider and try and open this place up as a bed and breakfast. She met resistance at every turn. Finally, she had invested so much money into this property. She was so kind of underwater on it. She had to cut her losses and sell it to somebody who would be able to kind of be able to move through some of those machinations of Fall River. And so it ended up that it was sold to the same people that own 92 Second Street. And they already have this existing relationship with the city of Fall River. They already bring in a great amount of tourism money for the city of Fall River. So it's going to be easier for them. They still have a lot of work that they have to do Mm -hmm. to get things to where the city wants it to be. But at least now it's not an outsider coming in trying to do it. So there's a little bit more... Yeah, but they're they're giving them a tough time, too. Of course. And we knew that they would. Yeah. But at least it's a little bit easier for them. So they're working on all of that. But essentially, that's the the story of where Maplecroft got to where it is today. And a lot of the renovations that have been done have been through Christy and through her hard work. Right. And now, you know, the crew from the Second Street House putting in a lot of work as well Mm -hmm. to try to get it to where it needs to be. So people will have the chance eventually to go in and investigate this house more often. Right. And we will see more instances of people saying that they're encountering Lizzie Borden there. But as we mentioned, it, it doesn't mean that they definitely are. Now, I had talked about the, the surface level reason as to why 
people mm-hmm. would think they're talking to Lizzie Borden and why they're not. The deeper one, and you have to be willing and open-minded enough to think that some of this stuff is real in order to absorb and digest this rationale. But the other reason is, and I can I wrote a whole chapter of it in my book, and I could probably write a whole other book unto itself about it. I scared a whole group of people at our event with it. There's something <laughs> in that location that is... Well, it's paranormal in nature, but it's, it's, it's elemental. It's not Lizzie. And I'm trying to explain that in a way where people who are not paranormal people would, would understand. But in some places, there's just, there's an energy, there's an entity, there's something that isn't human, but isn't. Never was. It's not a demon. It's ancient. You know, it's not, it's just this thing. And it's elemental. And that's, that's what an elemental is. And that's what is there. That's what lives in that house, and that's what... Specifically in the basement. That's what people, I think, a lot of times when they encounter Lizzie Borden at that house, that's what they're talking to, because I think it's giving them what they want. I think a lot of times when they think they're talking to Andrew Borden as well, that's who they're talking I, to. I mean, it's, um, it's fair to say that that is what you're talking to when have, you think you're talking to anything in that house. I have been investigating that house. I was actually sitting here trying to count back to see when the first time I was, but it's been almost 12 years, I think, that I've been investigating 92 Second Street. And um, my first encounter there, I mean, I, I knew. I knew that there was something there. And it actually wasn't even with you guys. Um, it was on my own. But that thing that lives in the basement, and you guys have to think, too. Um, you go out in nature, right? And... You can feel the energy of a place, and you know it's, oh, look, I love to be out here, especially if you love camping or you love nature walking or hiking or whatever it might be. You love those feelings. There are other feelings when you go places where you're like, okay, this doesn't feel good, or you can sense like an older ancient energy. Those are still part of the land, even if you build on top of them. It does not matter. Um, Just so happens that there's one right where Lizzie Borden's is, and it's in the basement. So it's literally in the lowest... (coughs) Hold on. Okay. Because I just want to take a step back to what you just said. Okay. It just so happens. Maybe. But there well, also... Well, that's debatable. There also could You're, be... A, there also could be... That could be a whole reason why what happened happened, Well, no, too. that's what I'm saying. Like, it just so happens that it lives there, right? But now, it feeds off of what's happened on that property. Right. There's and some, it could influence... I just to explain, the there's some school of thought, yes, that that actually drew in the board. Right, because now you got to think, elementals aren't necessarily good or bad. They are just what they are. It does not matter. And, um, I mean, I've met other elementals at other places where I've wanted to walk straight into them. I remember being in a place with Andrew Lake, and I told him, I said, there's something that's just drawing me this way, and I want to go, and I know I shouldn't. And he said he had a very similar experience where he saw lights dancing and wanted to follow them right to where it was. And um, they will lure you in. It's just like it's almost like they have a fascination with our energy and they feed off of our energy, whether it's good or it's bad. But you got to think about negative energy can be soaked up faster than positive energy. You know, positive energy might repel something and keep you, you know, safe in a way. But negative energy just just pulls other horrible things in, and it's like a magnet. So what happened next door 
Well, I mean, even even that and the chicken and the egg. We can we can go back to that, but we're talking about something. So yes, the murders that happened on on the same property before the the Bordens did, and we, right. we've discussed on the show. But um, well, for those that haven't listened before, it's but not even the same. let's even go further back there. I okay. mean, here's an area where you're a stone's throw from the Taunton River. Right. You're in a spot where you should be prime. A prime spot for mm-hmm. Native Americans to come and fish and to put up a village and to want to be, mm-hmm. and they wanted nothing to do with it. Because originally that whole area was all part of what is now the Freetown State Forest. Correct. So we're dealing with a spot that, you know, was kind of remote wilderness. And you would think that th- going to this place, this this mouth of the river, would mm-hmm. be a, a great spot for where these Native Americans would want to be. They avoided that area at all costs. Oh, yeah. English settlers showed up, said, we want this from you, we'll buy it from you, and they said, here, have it, we never want to see it again. Yes, but they, they did <laughs> do a pretty good job of milking them oh, yeah. in the deal. But uh, but. <laughs> but they did that with all the towns around here. They got a lot of copper pots and they, they furs and stuff out of it. prime real estate for basically nothing. Because they wanted nothing to do with it. Right. And so we're talking about an area where this negativity Predates. That's why I just sit back and laugh when we're in the newsroom covering all these stories about Fall River. Right. Because people say, oh, I don't know what it is about Fall River. And I say, I do, but it's nothing right. that we can report on the news. You know, I laugh all the time about it because um, people are like, oh, it's the Freetown State Forest. I'm like, the actual name of it is the Fall River Freetown State Forest. Well, is, is Freetown, Freetown Fall River? I don't know. I think it's Freetown Fall River. Either way. Either way. Fall River Half is of it's part in of Fall it. River yes. still. Half of it's in Freetown. Um, do you ever... <laughs> Drive and I I went to college in Fall River, so I know I was there. And actually, I I um I worked there for a very long time. If you drive between the Watapa Ponds regularly, daily, the weather changes frequently right in that spot. As soon as you drive out of Fall River, the weather is different. Everything about Fall River is strange. So there's no, you know, it's and again, just to go back to like what you were saying about it being just so happens. I mean, there's. It's entirely possible that they bought that house because Andrew was lured in by this thing. Oh, yeah. It's entirely possible that the murders happened because they were already a dysfunctional family, and this thing just kind of fed on that or kind of not fed, either fed from it or fed into it, depending on how you want to look at it. So there's all of these different kind of much deeper paranormal theories as to what's going on there. Right. You don't have to be willing to accept all of that. You know, that's something that is debatable. That's something that we can't really prove, except that it seems to be where our research has led us and our experience has led us. I've come to face to face with it. I make it angry every single time I walk in that house. But the, the bottom line is somebody has to say now that. Those experiences, if they're not willing to, to believe in, in these ghosts and they're not willing to believe in this possibility, somebody has to say to you now that you're wrong. No. I mean, there's really... How do you tell somebody that? How do you tell somebody that they're wrong? You're not you saying don't. you're not saying that when you've gone there, you've picked up on this energy. And when you've gone there, you've gotten this sense. And when you've gone there, the feeling that comes to you is this. Mm-hmm. You're saying that when you've gone there, you have directly encountered... Correct. Not only this thing, but you've directly encountered Lizzie. In the 12 years that I have been investigating that property, I have come across Lizzie twice. So... Explain to somebody that doesn't believe you what that experience was and, and how it happened to you. The first time, um, how candid can I get right now without offending people? Well, we're on YouTube, so you're f- something wrong with this thing. You're fully uh, 
You're, um, you've got the green light to say whatever you need to no, say. I'm afraid of some people listening, being offended by it. But, you know, it's the truth. So, um, you know, magazines wrote about it, too. So um, Lizzie Borden's used to have psychics on staff. Um, and we're going back more than a decade. And um, myself, my mother was with me. Uh, my good friends, um, my Reiki master teacher was with me, I believe, that night in a Fall River cop who I was very close with and I still am. And um, we all figured it would be a really fun thing to go to a seance at Lizzie Borden's house. So we pull up and that was probably, I, I had been to Lizzie Borden's once before for like a quick like tour. I was actually on a ride along with uh, my friend who's the Fall River cop for part of my um my criminal law class and uh we stopped by one night just you know a quick tour left and uh, so this was technically my second time in the house and we're sitting at uh, a very heavy table in the dining room where they would have waked the bodies did the autopsies everything else um I've, I've moved that table i can i can vouch for that right very heavy table and uh this woman who's the psychic decides to start telling us that we're going to do table tipping. Well, anybody that knows me knows I've been doing table tipping for the last 15 years. Um, the woman that I did it with was sitting across from me. So she starts telling me, well, the table's too heavy to move. So we're going to, um, we're going to, um, do knocks. So like one knock for no, two knocks for yes. My shoe came untied, looked under the table. She was the one knocking. So that took all of my faith out of anything to do this entire building, like, out the window. I'm a heavy skeptic. Like, when it comes to anything, I'm so skeptical. So um, I look across the um, the table at everybody I know, and I'm like, we all give each other the look, like, we're going to take over. Um, this poor woman, you know, was in tears by the end of the night because she had no control over anything. It's probably the first time that she's ever seen real psychic phenomena and paranormal anything. But... um she, um, we start talking to what we thought was Andrew Borden. This was before I met the entity in the basement. And my friend, I'll leave names out of it, who uh, is a follower of a cop, started talking to Andrew about knowing what he had done. And, um, I keep trying to not use the name of the psychic because I'm really not trying to be offensive right now, but, um, she ended up saying, well, what do you think happened? And I looked right at her and I talked about the abuse that occurred. She's like, how do you know about that? And I said, it happened four times and, um, not the abuse itself, but the result of it. And, um, there's no way you could know that. No, she got so I, mad at me. I don't want to talk in codes that, uh, I don't people, know if I'm allowed to talk about <clears throat> that. So I don't want to talk in codes that people might not understand. So there's some belief uh, that there was an inappropriate relationship between Andrew and Lizzie. That um, it wasn't entirely forced upon her. Because we're talking about somebody who was in her 20s and into her 30s. She mm -hmm. was 33 at the time of the murders. So we're talking about somebody who was an adult. Um, and and the, some of the speculation is that it was, it was a returned affection. Bottom line, though, is that there is some... And by the way, that's something that was brought up by psychics, mm -hmm. by mediums. That was not part of the historical records. Right. That a, a friend of mine, uh, Faye Musselman, who is a Borden scholar in her own right and collects a lot of Borden memorabilia, 
came across a, a collection of letters between other members of the, the Borden family and some of them even to Emma. And these stories, uh, these uh, letters rather, told that story. These letters talked about the inappropriate relationship between Andrew and Lizzie mm-hmm. and the way that the rest of the family had shunned them because of it. So there was factual proof. Right. I mean, at least amongst the rumors of the family, but at least there's some sort of a backup to what mediums have been picking up for years. And as part of that relationship, what you're saying is when you're saying what happened four times is there's a belief that Lizzie became impregnated and they actually had Dr. Bowen from across the street come over and perform abortions for these children in the house. In the house. And also there's a, a basin in the basement Mm-hmm. The one where I have everybody take a photo every time because you get a ghost in the picture because right. of the way the, the stain is in the back wall. But the belief is that that is where these aborted fetuses were put following this. And uh, Moniz actually was hoping to, at one point, kind of be able to pull some mitochondrial DNA from that, but wasn't able to happen. But so that's I don't want to I want to lay it out you there to, for people. I wanted you to talk about that part, not so much uh, coming from me. But so anyways, talked to her about this. She's like, there's no way you could know that. And I looked right at her and I said, yes. And um, like she was almost offended by it because she didn't come up with the information. And um, at that point, um, my friend Dave had called Andrew out on it or what we had thought that heavy table picked up and pinned him up against the corner and he couldn't get out. We all had to stand up and move the table. So at that point I knew we were dealing with something much more than what we thought. Um, fast forward years later, I came into contact with what we, bo- do you want me to talk about the name of what we call the entity? Or are we going to leave that out? No, you can. All it's right. Fine. So, um, we affectionately referred to him as John because that's what he's, that's what he's told us. He's his told name us is. his name is. Um, so, We've encountered him, actually, you talk about spirits moving, at different places that you and I have gone to. Mm -hmm. Um, So when, you know, all these years of um, talking with Abby, talking with Andrew, talking with this other entity, um, you know, the children in the the attic, you know, there's multiple entities in this house. Um, I walked in. um, Andrew Lake had actually called me. uh, This was 2014. So many years after my first encounter there. And... um, we, well, he actually called me because Max, the house cat, um, the owner's cat that was there when they bought the, the property and he's been around forever. I believe he's going to be 18. Um, he went missing and it was devastating because this, this poor cat has way more than nine lives. This cat's been hit by cars. <laughs> this cat's had surgery. This cat's been on the brink of death and come back and now he's missing. So, um, they actually called Andrew to get in touch with me to see if the cat was going to come back. Um, at the time I was pregnant, uh, very newly pregnant and I couldn't tell anybody, um, obviously because that's just appropriate. Um, I was under 12 weeks and I was so severely sick. I told them that I couldn't get there right away. Max was going to come home. He was okay, but I will get there next like Tuesday. And, um, when I, I set that time up, tried to gear myself up to leave the house because I was so severely ill, um, Max came home on Monday, the day before. So Andrew had said he had never really been in um, a full-on investigation in the house before. We had the house to ourselves during the daytime. So he had asked a friend of um, mine and myself to go to the house with him and just do, you know, like a daytime investigation. I've been to that house a thousand times. I walk into that house like I live there. It's just, it's... Yeah, I say the same when I walk in the yeah. kitchen door, I say I'm home. Right. So when I opened the door... You know, they walked before me. Um, if you open that back door, you have a staircase that's like right there on your right. 
Um, and then you have the kitchen, like the hallway, the basement, um, door, and then the kitchen in front of you. So I'm just walking in, not paying attention. As soon as I pushed that door, um, I stopped and I froze because the apparition of Lizzie Borden was standing there and staring at me. Now I knew like deep down, like why she was standing there, but I didn't want to alarm anybody to it. Like I normally would because I couldn't tell anybody what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. So I stood there and all she kept saying, and she had the creepy eyes like she does in her, her pictures, um, was, um, your baby's not safe here. You need to leave. And, you know, I try to communicate with her without, you know, letting people know what's happening. Cause I can't go tell Andrew that Andrew would have understood, but it's like, right. you know, there are other people there. There's, and, and there's also <clears throat> for anybody that's a parent, there's some superstition too. Right. Of course. Like, it's like, you know, they, they pound it in your head that miscarriage can happen mm-hmm. and you don't want to go tell everybody. So that way you don't tell everybody what happened afterwards. Cause it's painful. And you know, you're just, you're dealing with so many emotions. You're not in your right state of mind. I don't want to deal with this right now. And she's standing in front of me. She chased me throughout that house. No matter what I did, I'd open a door. She'd be standing right there panicking. Like the, 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 the tone in her voice, everything, your baby's not safe here. You need to leave. You don't know what's going to happen. And that led me to believe that what I had experienced on my first time there and the things that we just talked about were definitely real because I believe, or that made me believe she wanted to keep those children. She did not want that to not, happen. Not, a, not, a, not advised no, 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 in that no, situation, no. But, but I understand the, the emotional Correct. Connect. The emotional, <clears throat> and maybe that's what made her a little off. Um, because I can't imagine going through that, whether it was right or wrong or what she was feeling. I cannot imagine having that decision made for you and having that happen to you, whether again, right or wrong, it doesn't matter. So that was really, um, that was a little shocking. And poor Andy thought I was so off that day. He was almost kind of annoyed with me because usually like Andy will choose to work with me. I'm spot on. We get great evidence together. You know, we just, we work well together and, I had to call him like X amount of weeks later and say, I just want to apologize to you. This is what happened. I couldn't tell you at the time, um, you know, everything is okay now. Like I've gone through testing and, you know, been past that point, but he was dumbfounded by, he's like, wow, like, you know, wow. Like, thank you for telling me kind of clearing that up. But it was really, um, it was a really strange experience for me. And, um, I'm going to to take a break here in a moment just to kind of reset things a little bit. We have a little spot we're going to run, uh, just a a quick, like, 30-second break. But I'll I'll say this, that all the times that I've been there, and we're talking, you know, a couple of dozen times, Mm -hmm. and and I'm talking a couple of dozen investigations. Like, there's been times that I've just stopped by or gone to visit or been in the neighborhood or those kind of things. And in all those times... um, I don't know if I've ever actually encountered Lizzie Borden. I don't believe that when I talk to, I always have that caveat, that grain of salt, that right. either it could be anything pretending to be Lizzie Borden. Absolutely. And it could also be that thing pretending to be Lizzie Borden. Right. And, you know, you're you're basing it off of the evidence that you're getting from the equipment that you're using. Anytime I've walked in that house... I can feel the difference between all the different energies, whether I can see them or whether I just know who it is. And I choose to communicate with who it is that I'm talking to, who it is that I'm seeing, who it is that I'm picking up on. I can tell you, I don't think I've ever felt her there besides those two times. And I've never asked her to come forward to try to communicate because I just felt like it wasn't 
the right thing to do. If she wasn't there, don't bring her back to something or don't try to bring her back to something that was miserable for her or not a good time in her life. We don't know the circumstances surrounding why these murders happened. We can speculate all day long. We can look at historical evidence all day long. I think they botched that investigation, to be completely honest, but I think the family also helped botch that investigation. So there's just so much that occurred that shouldn't have at that time. If you look at it through a lens of 2019, that murder would be solved, no problem. But I've never forced her to do anything, so I look forward to the day where I can communicate with her freely. Before we take the break, I just I want to say this, that there's one time in all of my experiences of being there that I do feel like we made a connection with the real Lizzie Borden. And it was an investigation that we did with Luann and Wailing City mm-hmm. Ghosts. Um, it was 2007, August of 2007, not that far from the uh, anniversary date of the murders. We were there doing an investigation with a local magazine. And uh, as part of the investigation, you know, we're recording, uh, hoping to capture EVPs. And at this one particular instance, if I remember right, we were in Lizzie's bedroom Everybody that was in the building at that time was in the bedroom, and the recorder was on the bed. We were trying, because there's a cabinet in Lizzie's bedroom that was known to fly open on its own so much so that they've now put a permanent lock on it so it wouldn't keep happening, and we were able to unlock it and try and coax whatever was there to be able to open it, but during the course of this investigation, you know, again... The recorder, from my recollection, was on the bed. Everybody in the house was in this room. So you're going to hear a voice that comes from farther away, from outside the room. And I really wish I could explain better to people how this house is. It's small. It's not a big house. Right. Every room is connected. It's 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 not quite what they used to call a rabbit run, where you know all the rooms would be one right after the other, but they're all connected. And so... It's not like somebody's going to be in the hallway at the other end of the house and you're you're not going to hear them or they're going to sound far away. Like, everybody's right on top of everybody. It's kind of a pain in the ass when we're doing an investigation. It's part of the reason why we can't even bring Moniz there anymore. Because mm-hmm. everybody on the other floors is like, all I can hear is Moniz. Cause yeah. It's the, but it's that thin. Like, we're talking about thin walls. We're talking about thin floors. We're talking about a place where if I'm on the first floor, and somebody's on the third floor and I want us to switch floors, I don't have to yell. I can just say, hey, guys, time to switch. And the people on the third floor will hear me. It's it's that kind of an old house. And so we capture this. Luann captured this voice that we think is the actual voice of, of Lizzie Borden herself. And I'm just going to play that for us real quickly before we take a, a quick break. And then we'll wrap things up with some more. We might go a little bit over. Matt, you're going to kill me if we go a few minutes late. Okay, he says he will. So we'll wrap it up as quickly as we can. Well, he's the only one that's got to work in the morning. So, all right, let's play this clip for you. And so what you're hearing there is what we think is the voice of Lizzie Borden saying, but I'm a good daughter. And we don't know if that is her saying, I couldn't have committed the murders because I was a good daughter, or if that's, you know, I did it, but I was a good daughter, and I was pushed to my limits. But I'm going to play that one more time for people to hear and uh, see if I can jack it up a little bit more. And you can hear, like, that Victorian-era, yeah. like, lilt. Clearly a woman's voice, clearly has that Victorian lilt, 
And I don't think it's a stretch to say that that's what we're hearing. So that would be, in my opinion, probably the only time that I think that we have, that I have encountered Lizzie Borden. I forgot how much I hate listening to that EVP. All of the ones from that night are particularly uh, creepy. They don't sit well with me. No. Um, I mean, how do we know that's not Emma? How do we know it's not a memory of that, you know, time period, you know, residual energy EVP? We, you know, we don't have answers. However, it's still one of the creepiest things I've ever heard. Well, we'll take a quick 30-second break, and then we'll be back with more Spooky South Coast. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. And welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, excuse me, science advisor Matt Moniz, and psychic medium Stephanie Burke, who is able to bring some of her perspective of the Lizzie Borden house. Uh, again, if you're just joining us, the this came from, about from a, a, a Borden scholar, uh, Dr. Stephanie Corey, who has done vast amounts of research and, and, and really kept the history of the Lizzie Borden case alive for a long time. Just She had some issues with uh, a recent episode of Kindred Spirits, the season three finale, which took place in Maplecroft, the house that Lizzie Borden purchased after the murders and where she lived and where she died. Um, just had some issues with some of the questions, but it's coming from a, from a perspective of somebody who just does not believe in ghosts. And, and I think that there are fair questions that come up with people that are not ghost people when it comes to watching some of these shows. And and one of those questions, <clears throat> which was what was posted today on the Mondo Lizzie Borden page today, Stephanie, was why would Lizzie Borden choose to tell her story to a TV psychic and not to journalists? And, um, again, I haven't seen the episode, so I'm assuming, and I know that uh, the Dr. Corey is listening, so maybe she can shoot me a message and kind of clear up exactly what she means. I mean, is she talking about not telling the truth to anybody that came and asked her the truth uh, all those years later for the rest of her life? Is she talking about anybody who uh, has gone into this with an academic pursuit, why this spirit of Lizzie Borden wouldn't choose to reach out to them to give answers? Basically, the bottom line is, why is it that psychics are able to come out, mediums are able to come out with explanations for things that don't fit what other people have found out. Why Why do they sometimes come out with either extra information or contradictory information to what we know to be the historical record? You want my really simple, logical, dumb answer? Please. My job is to talk to the dead, and she's dead. So, <laughs> like, and I think we were going back and forth I'm not trying to this. be a jerk, but... We, we were texting about this earlier, and I think part of it is because what it is that you do is a human connection. Right. It's not... eh. So I I tell everybody all the time, and every single medium is different. I am not sitting here and talking for any medium that has worked for any other TV show. I am not talking for any other medium on this planet but myself. But, and I I tell this story forever. I've been on a soapbox for years. You guys have worked with me on many different cases. You've seen me and how I operate. I am not here to prove anything to the living. I am here to tell the story of the dead. That is my job. And... 
I have always said that I am a liaison for those that have passed on. I am here to bring about things that have gone missing since these people have died. I, you know, parts of their stories, correcting history. Like that is something that I focus on. Um, I worked on a case with Andrew Lake in Rhode Island where he brought me to a location. I had no idea where I was. Um, this particular place was known as, um, I don't want to draw attention to it, but it was a bridge that was known as a specific bridge due to a girl that supposedly died in an apparition that people saw there. He brought me there. I identified the spirit. I told him what the spirit's name was. Turns out there's a historical document that has the name of the woman that I described and it turns out she died in the the river underneath that bridge. And it's her that people see there, not the other girl. And I was able to straighten out that story and lead Andrew to where he needed to go in order to get the proper documentation to prove this. That is what I enjoy doing when it comes to my job. I enjoy fixing parts of history. Just a car alarm. Um, I just want to make sure it's not mine. My car's been acting up all night. Um, so when it comes to this particular situation, if I'm able to go in in a spirit feels like, hey, she's going to tell the right story or she's here for me to help me because we know when I and I teach us in my Reiki classes, you walk into a place, you know exactly who you hate the minute that you walk in because your energy feels it. But you also know the people that you're attracted to and that you want to connect with, that you want to talk to. Hey, this person is going to be really fascinating. I like their energy. I want to sit here. Spirits are no different. They enjoy, you know, they might hate a medium that walks in because they don't like their energy, but they might look at someone like myself and say, hey, I want to talk to her because I think that she has the right intentions. Same thing as a journalist here and while we're living. Tim, I would choose to talk to you because I trust you and I I trust that you're going to tell the right story. Just like, but if you know that you're going to go talk to somebody from the Inquirer, they're going to switch exactly what you're going to say. Like, it's, it's. It's human nature. It's common knowledge. Why not? And let's not discount the fact, too, that, you know, a hundred and almost 130 years of being dead. No, no, not 130 years of being dead, but 130 years since the murders and almost 100 years of being dead would make you want to. Would she want to free herself? Get the word from out that? there. Right. Would she want to tell the truth? Would she want people and, to stop well, blaming her? Not yet. Well, I'll say not only free herself, maybe necessarily, but also just to end all the false information right. that That's might be out saying. there. Free herself from the false information. Free herself from the possibility that she may or may not have done it. Or, yep, I did do it. Okay, great. Everybody move on now. It's there's, still there's alive. Been some, there's been some very ridiculous things that have come out of this case. I'm sure. There's been some very ridiculous television shows that yes. have come out of this. Yes. And uh, I know because I've I've been there for some. <laughs> and uh, 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 listen, I I don't want to disparage anybody, but there's some approaches that have been taken with investigations, both on television and off television, that I would not uh, necessarily uh, ascribe to. But maybe enough is enough, and you just want to kind of set the record straight, or maybe maybe just maybe you want to let people know. And, and by the way, Chip responded. Uh, he he said he did in, encounter Lizzie Borden there, okay. so it's he does feel like he he made a connection with her while he was at Maplecroft. But 
Uh, and I did invite him to call in, but we are up against the clock, so I don't know if we'll have time to connect with him. But we can talk to him about it again uh, sometime in the future. I think him and Amy have two different stories about what he encountered. Well, I think I think maybe he just didn't tell the whole story on, on the episode, maybe. But um, the the thing is, if you are Lizzie Borden, let's just strip this away to its very basic what we know about Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. She didn't love living in the 92 Second Street house. Nope. I wouldn't either. There were no toilets. She may have killed her parents. She may have not. Either way, she probably doesn't love still being associated with the house where that happened. She loved Maplecroft. Really loved it. Like, this is not up for debate. So, if you are her ghost, if you are her spirit, and you are able to come back, would you not want to reach out to people in Maplecroft and make them think that you're there so that people will come and see the house that you actually loved? Wouldn't you want the people who are interested in you as Lizzie Borden to care less about the murders and the house in which the murders took place and want to go to the house that you loved and that you you want to be remembered for? Now, I'm not worried about hurting tourism at 92 Second Street at all by saying this because people are still going to go to that house. People are still going to go to Maplecroft. People are still fascinated with the murders uh, more so than they are anything to do with the ghosts. A a good percentage of the people that go and stay in that house has nothing. They don't believe in the paranormal themselves or else why else would they you know, be perfectly fine with staying in a haunted house overnight? They go there because they're interested in the story. They're interested in the true crime aspect of it and the history and that's what they're focusing on. But if you're Lizzie Borden, you would want to reach out to the people who want to come to Maplecroft. You would want to make that the place where people would go because you're proud of it, because you want to show it off. And the question that was asked was, if Chip Coffee was able to communicate with Lizzie Borden or pick up on Lizzie Borden at Maplecroft, does that mean that everybody who has said that they've encountered her at 92 Second Street was lying? The answer is no. You know why the answer is no? Because nobody was able to go into Maplecroft to try to communicate with Lizzie Borden right. until recently. So, so there's no proving it. At the fundamental core of the question, it could be that nobody who goes to 92 Second Street now will encounter Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. I don't think that to be true, but that could be the possibility. And it could be that you're only going to encounter her at Maplecroft. Right. So She was very proud <clears throat> of her home. And for those that don't know... Um, she had parties there, like open, crazy parties, very often. She became surrounded by plenty of people, well-known actors, actresses. Um, this was something that she loved, she enjoyed. It wasn't like she sat at her home and became a hermit for the, the remainder of her life. You know, she she decided to really, you know, put herself out there to the people that she chose to be surrounded by. You know, she was sun- shunned from society when it came to the immediate Fall River, but she made a life for herself that she very much enjoyed. So it's not like she died this miserable woman. You know, she loved animals. She had passions. She was a person. She was a person before the murder. She was a, she reinvented herself, but she was a person after the murders too. So, um, I think to build on what you were saying, Tim, that when it comes to people that say that they've encountered Lizzie at 92 second street, I think, Everybody's going to say that, just like everybody's going to say something about anything. It doesn't matter. Half of those will say are correct. 
Half of them are probably not. That's just the odds of things. But I think she chooses, and I think she has the right to choose. And then in the few moments that we have left, the other question that pops up is, this is a business. There's a business built around mm-hmm. this. There's a business built around people wanting to stay at 92 Second Street. There's a business that will be built up around people wanting to stay at Maplecroft. There's a business built up around Amy Bruni putting on a television show. Yep. Amy Bruni putting on events, us putting on events, other people putting on events. It is a business. Yes. We do not shy away from that. Right. We do not shy away from the fact that we take this interest that we have that doesn't make us any money. See, that's the thing that people get all offended about when, when anybody's able to make any kind of a buck in the paranormal. Well, you're not supposed to be in this for money. Well, well I'm not so really who? supposed to just give all of my time up for something. Right. Based on, you know, if somebody said to you, hey, what's your hobby? And you said, my hobby is playing golf. And if somebody said to you, would you like to play in a golf tournament and maybe win 500 bucks? You'd say, well, yeah, absolutely. If your hobby is, you know, woodworking. And somebody says, well, you make really good stuff. You should try putting that up online for sale. Or, or, you know, putting stuff out in your front yard and, 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 you know, telling people it's for sale. You say, yeah, that's, that's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea to be able to make a little bit of money on this thing that I love. Not have it be necessarily my full-time career, but maybe it could be. And then maybe I get to do what I love to do for a living and not have to work some stressful job that I don't like because I found a way to take my passion and turn it into something. You know, when it comes to, you know, psychics and mediums and people say, oh, you know, you have a gift and if you charge money for it, you're going to, you know, it'll go away. Who like, gave you that gift? Exactly. No, who gave you that gift? I was born with it. So, I mean, if you're a religious person, who gave you that the gift? Say, you know, if you want to get God religious, gave you that God gift, gave right? you the gift, right? And every athlete in every post-game press conference ever has always praised God for giving them that gift. They're not playing that game for free. No, they're making a hell of a lot more money than I do. That's for sure. Um, which is funny. That you put it that way too, but at the same time, if, if God gave you a gift of being really smart and you paid all that money to go to school or whatever it might be, you know, I've spent money on education for other different things that, um, you know, I've chosen to do. But should we now argue that every single doctor out there should save lives for free? Because that's far more important than talking to dead people. So we do have a, a call coming in on the line. We'll, Matt, Matt, we're going to go like five minutes over. Is that okay? All right, because we do have a guest, and, and I want to be able to let them kind of call in and, and have their say. So joining us on the line, we have Chip Coffee. Uh, good evening, Chip. How are you? Hello, Tim How are you? Oh, we're, we're spooktacular. It's good to talk to you again. How, you, how have you been? Well, you know, life is good. Can't complain. How have you been? Uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. So, of course, the... Season finale of Kindred Spirits being the hot topic tonight and what happened in Maplecroft. Just kind of give us uh, your quick synopsis of what you experienced when you were in that house. Um, Of course, I was blindfolded. I didn't know where I was. People have said while you were in Fall River, you probably knew that you were going to someplace Lizzie-oriented. You know, I didn't because we'd already been to the Borden house, and I really didn't consider that I was going any place specific. So when Amy and Adam blindfolded me, I thought, you know, there's lots of places around in the... The, the general area that have haunted history. So I had no idea. It could have been a family home. It could have been anywhere. So I really had no idea where I was going. And so when I came into the house, I basically had an experience of immediately being assaulted by a lot of different emotions. And so I just allowed myself to go with what I call a stream of consciousness and letting whatever wanted to fly out of my mouth, fly out of my mouth. 
And so it was kind of like a little bit of verbal diarrhea that I was giving, and that's what you got. Well, that's, hey, I get through a radio show every week doing the same thing. Well, you know, we, we, a lot of us get through life doing that. <laughs> so then what was it, you know, as you were putting all this out, you, you think that you actually did encounter Lizzie Borden there? I do. And what, what, what was it that sold you on the idea of it being her? Um, you know, I think it's one of those things that some of the things that, that were said, plus the corroborating evidence that Amy and Adam got during their investigation, that sort of led us to the, to the decision that we felt like we'd made some contact with Elizabeth Borden. And you've been to the other house. Uh, and, Several times. And so do you think that it's, you know, we've been talking about here about how, you know, it's, it's her choice to really go to, to which one she wants to go to. And, and naturally it would make sense if people are investigating the house she loved, she would definitely want to show up there. Look, let's be honest here. When you're dead, you don't have a body. You can go anywhere you want to go. It's an energy. You, you can throw your energy wherever you want to. My mother showed up in Australia when I was there, for God's sake, and my mother never was in Australia. So it does, if you, if you, it basically, is if you go looking for someone, if you're, you're calling them in and you're kind of conjuring them up, you're inviting them to come and be with you. If they receive that signal in the spirit world and they decide they want to come and interact, then they throw their energy in your direction. Is it so? One of the questions that came up then is: Is it possible that the people who have claimed to have encountered her in Ninety Two Second Street in the house where the murders took place, it's still possible for them to have been telling the truth and having that experience, and also for her to have shown up for you in Maplecroft? Given what I just said, absolutely, one hundred percent. And if that's the case, then it becomes a matter of, uh, you know, it's it's more about. You, the person, the investigator, the the medium, the person being there, than it is about the ghost, the the spirit. It's more about you choosing where you're trying to make that connection. Okay, this is what I talk about a lot of times, Tim. And you know, there are spirits. People go to cemeteries and look for spirits. When I'm dead, I sure as heck don't want to hang out in a cemetery, okay? And I don't think most people do. But I think it's the whole idea, as I mentioned before, that there are individuals there that are looking for dead people or looking to, to, to communicate with the afterlife, and they are summoning spirits. They're conjuring them up. They're inviting them to come and communicate. And I think it's that invitation, and, and whatever spirits are hearing that, that reach out, so to speak, they, they can decide whether or not they want to go and communicate, just as Elizabeth did. You know, she can decide that she's going to come and communicate with whoever's in that house, or she can go, no, I've got better things to do than, than mess with, with whoever's trying to reach out to me right now. Luckily, I think we, you know, she was, she was open to communicating with Amy and Adam and me when we were in the house. To me, it, to me it's one of these things, if you call a number, you shouldn't be surprised when the person answers. Right. Say that again? When, when you call somebody's number, you shouldn't be surprised when they answer. Well, and that's true. You know, it's, it's, there are people, I read, the, read what was posted on, on Instagram, and there are those people that are skeptics, and that's fine. You know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But, you know, don't, here's, here's what I say, don't poop on somebody else's opinion. You know, everybody's entitled to them, and, you know, don't. Don't rag on what somebody else believes when they're not really hurting anybody. And I realized whoever posted what they posted was kind of a Lizzie purist. And that's fine and dandy. But, you know, I firmly believe, and so do Amy and Adam, and others that I've seen post on social media, that we were able to, to reach out and have some level of communication with Lizzie slash Elizabeth Borden. 
And then the other question I'll ask you is the other thing that was posted on the the, Mon- the Mondo Lizzie Borden page. Why would Lizzie tell you or or anybody that has uh, you know psychic or mediumship abilities? Why would she choose to speak to them when she wouldn't tell her story to journalists in her lifetime? She's been dead for over a hundred years. Maybe she's changed. Right. That's that's something that will kind of be a recurring theme, I think, in a lot of what you do is that people eventually want to clear the air about something. Well, you know, I don't know the whys. You know, I have a theory about what happened in the Borden house. You want to hear it? Please. I think Lizzie was DID. Okay. I think she suffered from dissociative identity disorder. And people ask me if Lizzie Borden killed her, her mother or her stepmother and her father. I, I, the answer is yes and no. I don't believe I believe her body did it, but I don't believe that Lizzie was in charge when it happened. I mean, there was some some certain aspects of her personality, and if you get into the Victoria Lincoln research and, and some of those and some that book, A Private Disgrace, you know, you can see where some of that would have played out in her lifetime. But also, you know, Stephanie and I have been talking for years about the there's something else in that Second Street house, something dark, something elemental, and that that could have been controlling her uh, or whoever committed the murders but it could have that could have been the impetus for it and and whoever the human being was was just the tool well and here's the deal you know she left that house on second street and before long she changed her name and she began basically a whole new life so that that sort of leads me to believe that maybe there were different personas at work in, in inside that one body and mind <clears throat> so i don't know i don't i don't i don't know that the, the murder will ever be 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 solved conclusively but the reality is that you know something happened that was very heinous and i believe that you know with paranormal investigating we can come closer to getting some idea of what happened with lizzie and 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 who knows what's going to happen with maplecroft i think that that's i think that that's a real interesting thing to look at what what is lizzie's how is lizzie going to interact with people if they try to go in and communicate with her in maplecroft Absolutely. Well, Chip, thank you for uh, for calling in and for giving us a little bit of perspective of what happened uh, in the episode, and hopefully we'll we'll talk to you again real soon. I hope so. Have a good evening, my friend. You as well. Take care. Thank you. Bye. That is Chip Coffee, And again, you can see him on a number of those Strange Escapes events, uh, strange-escapes.com, if you want to find out. And, of course, you can go to chipcoffee.com if you want to find out where else he'll be during that time. I think he makes a great point, though. Now that Maplecroft is going to be more open for these investigations... We'll have a better emphasis. This is the first time out. There was probably a similar uproar amongst Borden scholars, and, and there are quite a bit. I mean, again, you know, we talked, Dr. Corey being one of the most long, long tenured and, and most respected in this, but I mentioned Faye Musselman. I met, there's a number of people who have spent years researching the Borden case and the Borden family, and I'm sure that there was a similar reaction to when the first people went in and investigated the Second Street house. And the bottom line is, look, if you don't believe in ghosts, we're not going to change your mind with the information that we're presenting to you. And if you're looking for proof, this is something that came up in the comments a lot underneath those questions on the Mondo Lizzie Borden page, is prove to us that ghosts are real. Prove to us that ghosts are not. Going back and forth, there's no proof. There's no proof either way that's going to convince somebody who doesn't believe one way or the other. I always tell people you have to see it for yourself in order to believe it. And half the time when those people see it, they're so hell-bent on their cultural or religious beliefs that they don't want to accept what's happening. So you have to experience it. Yes. That's the only way that you're ever going to know one way or the other. And that's why we recommend people put themselves in places and situations where they can. And then you can really 
dissect what it is that we do. And even so, like, yeah, come on one of our ghost events, help us support these historic places and all that. But even that's not a great representation of exactly what it is that we do. But if you are somebody who has a vested interest in the things that paranormal researchers are looking into, if you have a vested interest in the locations or the stories or what have you that they are uh, researching into, go along with them. I don't know any paranormal investigator that would ever say no to having somebody who knows the case inside and out like that with them alongside them for... I love that, especially when I'm doing a historical walkthrough. If you have... I I cannot tell you how valuable that is when I am walking through a place and I say, this is what I'm picking up. Does this make sense? Or, you know, whatever it might be. Or if, if you have a notebook the entire time, anytime I've worked with Amy, she has a notebook the entire time. She's writing down every single thing that I, I come up with. And then she tells me the story behind every single thing that I say. I worked with one person one time who claimed to be a historian and they wrote down everything I said and everything that I asked at the end. He's like, well, I don't know. I have to research. I was relying on you. Like, that's not how this works. It's not really good historian. This is not how this works. (laughs) But that's that's the way to do it. That's the way that I think think everybody would love to have that resource. And I think that it would only, it would strengthen the investigation and would also give those who are skeptical about what it is we do a better shot at seeing exactly what it is that we do. Because, listen, in the end, the bottom line is this. We may be interested in ghosts. We may make some money off other people's interest in ghosts. We may make paranormal television shows about the case that you care about. But in the end, the important thing is there are now millions of people who watch an episode of a television show that know a little bit more about Lizzie Borden than they knew before. There is now millions of people that watched an episode of a television show that understand that after these murders happened, even if they think Lizzie Borden was the murderer and was this terrible person who did that, they now know that in her later years... She had a house that she loved and a whole other life outside of those murders and became this very well uh, respected and, and eventually uh, and, and generous person who gave a lot to the people and especially the animals of Fall River and that there's more to the Lizzie Borden story than just those axe murders that happened on the morning of August 4th, 1892. And if that's what the end result is of what happened, of, the, of there being a television show, I don't see where that's such a bad thing. So that's that's the end of it. That's me getting off my soapbox. Thank you to everybody for tuning in tonight. Thank you to Amy and Chip for calling in. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you for hopefully keeping an open mind on this. It's all up for debate. We can revisit this going on down the line. We can talk about this. It's nothing new to us. Again, our feelings don't get hurt. We've had worse things than somebody who is a a, a historian and a and a researcher of a particular case coming back and saying that, you know, what we're doing is ridiculous. In the end, we're all just trying to do the same thing. We're all just trying to keep telling these stories. And we're all trying to never forget the past. The way I look at it is proved to me it's not. So until next time, I think we probably won't have a show next week because I'm going to be doing a wrestling event on the Cape. I won't be back in time, and I don't know if anybody wants to come in and do a show without me. I'm, I know I'm like the, the security blanket for everybody. But you get panicked <laughs> if I'm not here. Uh, but we'll be back after that. We're going to be joined... Uh, by Allison Horrocks in studio. She is the host of the Strange and Unusual podcast. So it's a, a great little podcast. It's so New England. It's so awesome. Uh, I think anybody that listens will love it. And she is so New England for somebody who's a transplant. 
and only lives here part of the time. But uh, you will you will love her and her love for all of the mysterious and weird stories of New England. So she's going to come in and join us, talk about that, and talk about some of those stories as well. So uh, until then, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Kylie, the intern, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular.